Two quick things I'm going to mention is one is small groups. We got to keep pushing because David Dowdy said he will shave about 85% of his body and his beard and his head and his face and other body. And uh, if we have 200 people in small groups and I just got official word, we're kind of around that 80 margin. So really we need everybody. If you are already plugged in a small group, just invite one person with you. I want to see this dude bald. We want to see it happen. We want to see it you know, straight razor, it's going to happen. So anyway, we just invite someone to small groups. If you're not a part of one and you want to just connect with just what's happening here at Revolution, talk to David, talk to uh, Eric, talk to Corey, talk to Ryan, any guys you see up here tonight. Um, We'd love to get you connected with just a group of people. Uh, Maybe it's just to to get together and eat some food, hang out, definitely study the word and grow together. Um, in, in addition to that, there's a, a core group that's kind of forming. And this core group is kind of is going to be this uh, body of people who really have called revolution their home and who want to connect and, and work alongside of the leadership team. Um, maybe there's a skill or a talent that you have um, that you can plug into the needs that revolution is. And if you're interested in that, on February 23rd, which is two Sundays from today, uh, there'll be an informational meeting. And there was one already. So if you were a part of the first original core group meeting a couple weeks ago. You don't have to be there. But on the 23rd, if you're interested about it, all they're going to do is like prick your finger, take your blood, take some DNA samples, ask for your checking account. There's small, small detail stuff, but just to get you connected. So that, that's all that is. Um, we got a lot of people coming in, which is great. So before everyone sits down, we're just going to take 30 seconds. Just meet someone you know. Someone, just introduce yourself, say hi, and I'm glad you're here. No, no specific question tonight. Just, you know, open topic. It's open mic night. So we're going to put music on for 30 seconds and just everyone stand up. Meet someone you don't know. Introduce yourself, and then we'll get right on into the word. are not excited enough. Just throwing that out there. One more try. What's up, Rev? All right. Sweet. Sweet. So um, I want you guys to know the, uh, the name of this sermon tonight. It's really important to frame this the right way. Tonight's sermon is called, What Would Jesus Do? And I'm sure you guys, like me, have at one point in your life had one of these right here, huh? Anybody? How many people have, a, have had a WWJD bracelet? See, it's just like permeated the Christian culture. It's um, just completely, I don't know, we use that all the time. Do they still sell these things? Like, can you get them at praises and stuff? Yeah? I've actually had this since uh, third grade. Third grade. Um, there's a a first grade teacher, my first grade teacher was giving these out to like every kid in the school 
And this was in like a public school, so it was a big deal. I didn't realize how big of a deal it was until just recently. Um, but she was passing these out, and it was like the cool thing, right? I didn't even know who Jesus was at the time. I just wanted one, and I liked red, so I got red. And I still have it, and you can't even tell what the letters are anymore. But um, it is important to me to remember the way that God used her to bring me closer to him, to at least introduce the idea of Jesus to me. And, and so, actually, um, I, I felt like I was running a little bit late tonight because uh, I sat in my car for 20 minutes, and I, I prayed about uh, whether I was going to go up oftener or if I was going to go up 23 to get to Rev tonight, just asking, God, Jesus, what would you do? What would you do? And, of course, that's ridiculous. We don't do that, hopefully. Um, hopefully. <laughs> but... I, I just, I wanted to talk a little bit about what would Jesus really do? What, what are we, what are we supposed to be doing? If we're following Jesus, what are we supposed to be doing? And that's what I want to focus on tonight. Tonight we're going to be in John 4, and we have like 25 verses, not really, uh, tw- maybe, might be 25, 20 verses we're going to go through. And so if you guys will just bear with me, we'll power through this. And, uh, and we'll get into the message. So we're looking at John 4, verses 4 through 19, and then we'll skip a little bit and go to 25 through 30. So uh, just a reminder, these blue Bibles, if you don't have a Bible at home or the one you have is too difficult to read, take this with you. It's yours. It's free. It's, it's, uh, nobody's going to stop you out the door. We're not going to, like, frisk you and, and check to see if you're stealing our Bibles. They're yours. Take them. All right, so we're starting in verse 4. And what Jesus is doing here is he is in Judea, and he's going to travel north through Samaria to get to Galilee. That's kind of your frame of reference here. So verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, 
and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Jumping down to verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran into the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The first point that I I think is important here is that Jesus is not afraid to break down any social barriers at all. What he is doing is very strange. The fact that he was even talking to a woman was like the disciples were completely blown away. That's so strange to them. There were like some serious ethical, or not ethical, excuse me, ethnic and and, uh, um, social tensions between the Samaritans and the Jews, and that was weird to them too. The Samaritans were, you know, they were once a part of the nation of Israel, but whenever uh, King Solomon died, they split the kingdom up into two portions. You have the northern half, which had Samaria, Samaria and you have the southern half, which had Judea. And, uh, and then the Samarians kind of got involved in, in, in the Gentiles, and they, and they started intermarrying and whatnot, and they kind of became this mixed race that the Jews looked down on, right? They were unpure. Um, and and the, the Samaritans also only believed in the, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. That, that's like they didn't believe the, 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 uh, the prophets or, or anything like that. That's kind of like somebody walking, us, walking up to us now and telling us, oh, we only believe the, the four Gospels. We don't believe anything that Paul wrote. We don't believe anything that Peter wrote. And I would be ready to throw down at that point, right? I'm, I'm going to um, start calling somebody a heretic. I'm going to probably get in a fight over this. So it was, it was kind of a big deal. There were major tensions between these two groups of people. So imagine that. Two groups of God's people each disagree about what God said. Um, really something that we run into all the time. I was just talking to somebody before the service about some disagreements that they have with um, some other believers that kind of don't see eye to eye. And we, I would certainly say I don't see eye to eye with lots of people. And, and so that's kind of the main basis between the Jews and the Samaritans, that they had major disagreements. And the Jews were kind of a little bit racist <laughs> whenever it came to how they viewed the Samaritans. They were, they were lower than trash, or they were lower than whale poop, as I like to say, on the, the ladder of uh, social, um, I guess, the ladder of society. So to kind of put this into context, uh, I've been watching the Olympics a lot the last couple of days. Um, and so to me, like if we were like the Jews, the Samaritans would be like Russia, right? We don't like them. Uh, we know we're better than them, and we're going to prove it. Um, so, and I can, I can just picture John the Baptist doing rhythmic gymnastics 
And, and you've got like the scores coming across the board. We've got a nine, 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 and Samaria with the seven, right? The, there was not a lot of good feelings between, you know, between these two groups of people. So over the last couple of days and a couple of weeks, there's been a lot of trash talk about Russia and how they've completely botched the Olympics. And I think it's mainly due to us not liking the commies, you know? Even though that that's been dead for a long time. So we'll jump right into the text here and, and we'll take a look. In verse 4, it says that Jesus had to travel through Samaria. But that's, I mean, that's not the case. Um, yeah, Samaria was in between Judea and Galilee, but he didn't have to go that way. He could go like 20 miles out of the way and travel up uh, the River Jordan, or he could go like another 30 or 40 miles out of the way and, and travel on the Mediterranean Sea. And that was not uncommon for Jews to do. If they wanted to get from Judea to Galilee, they didn't like the Samaritans, so they went around Samaria. It wasn't a, that big of a deal. It was pretty common. So I, do, I don't think it was exactly that. I don't think it was just Jesus wanted to save time. Jesus had places to go, people to see, water to walk on. Um, he had an appointment to keep. He went to Samaria for a reason. And the cool thing about God is he can do one thing and, and have one reason for doing something, but he can also have like a bajillion other reasons for doing it. So we can look at the reasons why Jesus went through Samaria and know that it wasn't just because he was trying to cut off 20 miles on their journey. There's probably a lot more going on there. And so, um, when, when Jesus gets to Sakaar, we can tell that he has more than just a reason to go um, the short way. Um, we can see whenever he gets to Sakaar, he immediately sends his disciples off away to go buy food, right? Um, the disciples are pretty dim-witted, but it doesn't take 12 of them to go get food for all of them, right? It doesn't require that many dudes to go get food. You probably could have sent three of them and done the same job. So Jesus had something in mind here. He knew something was going to happen. And he had a particular reason for being there. He probably just wanted to get them out of the way so that they didn't say anything stupid while he had this conversation with this lady. So then the lady, uh, come, she shows up about noon um, all by herself to draw water, which is kind of a laborious task. Water is like eight pounds per gallon, right? Is that correct? That's completely off the top of my head. I think it's eight pounds per gallon. So that's pretty heavy. If you were to... Have you ever filled up a five-gallon bucket of water and then tried to carry it? Like, you can't go very far without taking a break. And, and, uh, and if we look at maps, we can see that this well is about a half a mile outside of town, so she's at least traveling a mile back and forth, and then half of that's going to be carrying a big jar of water. So it's kind of a laborious thing to do. And for her to do it at noon was kind of strange. That she showed up at the heat of the day, all by herself, no help, and she was going to carry water back to wherever she lives. And that's, that's strange because the women at the time would have done this in the morning when it was cool, or in the evening when it was cool. 
They didn't do this in the heat of the day. They weren't stupid. They, they do this every single day, and they went when it was cool. They didn't go in the middle of the day. So she shows up all by herself, and Jesus is waiting there for her. And she shows up, um, and, and the first thing he asks her is, is can, I, can I have a drink of water? And that was, that was a really big deal to her. Because in this type of society, like men didn't speak to women in public. They would only speak to, say, their own wives. And not only that, but Jews didn't really associate with Samaritans at all. So for the fact that she was um, a woman and a Samaritan, and for him to talk to her in public was kind of a big deal. So then when Jesus gets serious, after you know, she stares at him blankly, and she's like, but you don't have a bucket, you know? Um, which is, I think, exactly his point. Uh, give, me a, give me a drink of water, please. Um, but when Jesus decides to get serious, he offers this woman living water. He offers the outcast of outcasts living water. And she just, like, stares at him blankly, and she's like, but Jesus, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get water? And, and if we actually, if we look back a chapter, in, in chapter 3, at Nicodemus, um, she's missing the point entirely, just like Nicodemus did. Do any of you remember what Nicodemus asked Jesus whenever he told them that he had to be born again? Anybody? Do I got to crawl back up in my mom's womb? Like, what do I got to do here, Jesus? He completely misses the point. So Jesus, you know, he goes into more detail. He says that if you drink this water, if you drink the water from this well, you're just going to get thirsty again. It's it's not going to change anything. You're going to have to come back here tomorrow. But that he offers water that you will never thirst again if you have it. And so she, she gets all pumped, and she totally misses the point again, and she's like, sweet, where is this water? I want some so I don't have to come back here every day, right? She is immediately thinking, this takes care of my physical needs, and then I get to not have to do this laborious work anymore. So Jesus completely goes uh, another direction. He's like, eh, she's not getting it. We're going we're gonna to try this from another direction. I'm going to address things more spiritually to her. So he asks her, go get your husband. And he gets her to admit that she doesn't, she doesn't have a husband, but she's living with some dude, um, which was a big no-no, especially in their society. And then she admits, or that he tells her, no, you've had five husbands. You have an issue here. You're addicted to relationships or sex or feeling safe with a man or, or whatever. But she's, like, it hits her. Wow, he's talking about some deep spiritual issues here. And it suddenly seems to make sense why she's coming to the well in the middle of the day whenever nobody's going to be there. She's probably a complete outcast in Sakar. So then 
Jesus times this perfectly because just as the disciples are coming back, he tells her that he is the Messiah. That he proclaims that he's here to set her free. He's here to set everyone free. You know, he's proclaiming himself to be the Messiah to both those that need him, the woman, the, the person that everybody looked at and thought was so shameful and was, and was evil and was uh, incredibly sinful. Everyone would have said, oh, she needs the grace of God. We all know those people in our lives that you think down on because they may struggle with sin a little more openly than you do. We all have that person in our minds. We all know a woman at the well. And he's also proclaiming to his disciples at the same exact time, the ones that are actually following him. Saying it's not just this woman that needs a savior, but it's everyone. It's the ones that are already following me that need me just as much as she does. He's letting everyone know that he is the fountain of living water. That if you, if you have him, that you would never thirst again. He's saying that he's sufficient. He's willing to go to the most unlikely of places and speak to the most unlikely of people and give them the same thing that he offers to the religious people. He's telling this woman that she has a thirst in her life that is unquenchable with husband after husband, that she is empty and she will continue to be empty until she has him. That only he can fulfill that emptiness, that desire inside of her. So how many of you have looked at this wristband or looked at your cross necklace or Whatever you have, maybe, I don't know, a couple of times we, we passed out things here at Rev, like, uh, you know, like a little rosary to help you remember to pray, or, or uh, I remember one time we had little baggies of, of dirt um, just to remind us of what Christ has done for us. How often do we look at those things and just think, God, just help me get through today, you know? God, what am I supposed to do with my life? And not to say that there's anything wrong with that. But what Jesus is saying here is there is a lot bigger of an issue than just what you're going to do next, what route you're going to take to drive to revolution. He's saying there's something a lot deeper going on here. He's saying that if you have me, you won't thirst again. You won't need these things. Say, it's, it's this woman she struggles with. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's being... Um, comfortable in, in a relationship. But he's also saying that those other things, he's, he's equating these with other sins. You don't need to be bound to a desire for money or power or relationships or friendships or, or um, having the most perfect house or the most perfect family. You don't have to be bound to having the sweetest car. You don't have to be bound to the desire for more knowledge even. I will fulfill that desire. I can fill the holes in your heart like nothing you can do will. 
So it's more than just looking at this silly bracelet and asking, God, how do I deal with that person that annoys me, you know? But if we're going to walk away with anything from what Jesus is doing here, it's that he is everything we need. He is sufficient. He's the Messiah. You know, the way that they actually translate this, this idea that I am the Messiah in, in the NLT here is, is close. But if we were to look at the actual Greek, he, he's saying, I am the one you are speaking of, or the one you are speaking of, I am. He's saying, I am. And that was like a big deal if you knew anything about Scripture, proclaiming that he said, if he says, I am, he is immediately aligning himself with God, that he is God. And he is. He is eternally everything that we need. So he's, he's saying, what, what, what is it that we need to do with this? What do, we, what do we walk away with this? So if we're... If we're if our thirst is quenched, if we're no longer bound to the things that we will seek other than God, if we don't have to worry about filling our lives up with relationships or, or money or sex or, or whatever, what is it that we do with like all of this extra time? And I think what he's trying to lay out here is we're to go like he went to the most unlikely of places to speak to the outcasts of outcasts and tell them about the living water, tell them about the Messiah. That it's time to put away cheap Christian culture bumper sticker sayings like WWJD, not that they're inherently bad, but it's time to go deeper and respond and actually go out and speak to the outcasts of outcasts, to go out to the unlikely places and speak to unlikely people. The people that have been shunned and, and just put out by churches for years and years and years since the church began. It's time to go out and tell everybody about the I am. I don't know how many times that I've looked in the face of Jesus and, and I know that what I should do, I know that I should go and tell people about him, I know that I should go and and preach the gospel with my life, with my actions, and with my words. And I look at him whenever I know that there's something I'm supposed to do, and I look him in the face, and I tell him, but Jesus, you don't have a bucket. I tell him, there's no way that's going to happen. That's, that's not what he's saying, though. I completely underestimate him. I completely lose the meaning of this great commission that we keep talking about. You know, I wear this bracelet, I'm nice to people, I go to church once or three times a week or whatever, and I completely miss the point. That because just like this woman, I should hear what Jesus says, that he is the Messiah, that, that he is the living water, and the result was her to immediately go out and tell everybody. She ran to town and told everybody about the Messiah. Come see him. 
why is my not, like, why is my desire not the same? And I've been struggling with that this week. Dowdy really kicked me in the pants last week. I don't know about you guys. There are so many people that are completely lost and have never even heard about the real Jesus. Maybe they've seen a little uh, chick tract or whatever, or maybe they've had somebody tell them, oh, you need to straighten up your life and get in church. There's a lot of people who have not heard about the real Jesus, the one that is the living water, one that bore our, our sins on the cross so that we don't have to bear them ourselves, so that we don't have to take the punishment on our own, that he has taken it for us. It's not, you need to straighten up your life so that you can be good enough to walk in a church for me to not knock it down while you're there. It's not like that at all. Come to me, and you'll never thirst again. So we don't stare at Jesus and tell him, you don't have a bucket. It's impossible. There's no way that person's ever going to accept you, God. Why would you send me to talk to them if I know they're going to just spit in my face? But we're looking at it the completely wrong way. It's not that he doesn't have a bucket. It's that we're the bucket. We're the ones carrying the water, the living water, out to this town. They're not going to hear it any other way. They're not going to hear it any other way. So it's our job to be the vehicle of his gospel. We are the bucket of living water. And it's our job to share it with them. Would you guys pray with me? God, I pray that through your word tonight, that you would just be breaking our hearts, that, that God, that it wouldn't just be about showing up here once a week or, or seeing our friends or, or, or pursuing um, being a, a, a Christian by name, God, but that we would seek you first and foremost and know that you are the Messiah and that you are the living water. God, I pray that that truth would boil up in us, that that, that fountain that you speak of, would overflow out of us so that we can take it to this city. God, may we respond like the woman in this story and go out and tell everyone. Tell them, come see. I met the Messiah, and I want you to meet him too. God, let us have that heart and that, that mindset and that desire to see people know you. I thank you so much for how you have blessed us so far as a church, God, but let us respond in thanks and spreading your message. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.